Cashflow Guys Podcast, Episode 24. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Join Tyler and his team as they unlock the secrets to achieving financial independence through wealth-building strategies inspired by Robert Kiyosaki and other thought-provoking leaders. Learn to build leveraged streams of cash flow that land in your pocket and improve your quality of life. Gain access to cutting-edge ideas that will increase your productivity and streamline your success. Find out how to supercharge your retirement plan so you won't have to retire with a pay cut. You can escape the rat race. Are you ready? It's time to Learn to Earn with Tyler Chef. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We have arrived at episode 24 of the Cashflow Guys podcast. In this episode, we are going to get some free legal advice. One little perk of having a podcast is you can call attorneys, interview them over the air, ask them the questions to your legal questions and get the answers. And at the end, there's no bill. That's kind of cool. On the air with us today is Sean Yesner from Yesner Law Group. Sean, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you for having me on. Sean, I'm going to... Tell these folks your bio. You've got a great history, great background, and I think you have a lot to offer the Cashflow Guys community. And before we go into that, I just want to remind our listeners that the Cashflow community that we formed on Facebook, you go to cashflowguys.com forward slash group. That's how you get to our Facebook community. We just recorded a video today, as a matter of fact, where we did a property walkthrough and whatnot. And as we go through different facets of what we do, what the Cashflow Guys do out in the field, we're going to use this group as a way to share that with you. We're not going to blast that all over the internet. We're going to share that with those people that are in the group and loyal to us. We will be loyal to you and give you this information so you can see what we do out in the field uh, when we're out looking at property, we're talking to people, things like that. We'll see if we can push some of that content your way and help you guys get a little more comfortable. Well, Sean Yasner is here with us. He's a Florida native, born in Tampa and raised in Miami. Usually that's the other way around. Usually people are, are raised in Miami and, and uh, are born in Miami and raised in Tampa. After graduating one of from rare, one of those that? rare Florida natives, I was born and grew up here. Absolutely, that that is that's 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 very different than what I'm used to. But so you graduated from Florida State University with a bachelor of science degree in accounting, and then you went to law school. I find that pretty cool. You you normally I've never didn't realize that people did the accounting first, and then usually it's just law school all the way. Is it not? Well, my dad is a CPA. He's he's recently retired, but. Uh, he has been a CPA for over 40-some-odd years. And so it was really his um, pushing that said, you know, let's – the accounting background always helps. At least I know now how to balance my own checkbook. And, you know, <laughs> if law school didn't work out, I could fall back. I am not a CPA. I'm not qualified to take the CPA exam. Would still need to go back to school. But uh, the accounting background, the numbers background definitely does help going into – law school and especially doing what I do now. There you go. You know, Sean, here in your, uh, in your bio, and I didn't read through the whole thing, but you were an associate attorney at one of the largest lender foreclosure firms in the state of Florida. And everybody's probably going boo, but you know, you guys, if, if you pay your bill, they won't foreclose on you. It's that simple. I mean, you know, it happens. Get over it. Yeah. I, I, uh, so I graduated law school, moved back down to Miami, start practicing, you know, living with mom and dad, get back on my feet. And I did that for about three years and then wanted more. I didn't want to be in Miami anymore. It's not the, 
same place that I grew up. And so I found a firm in Clearwater. This was in 2001. That was a lender foreclosure firm. I don't think we were called Mills back then, but yeah, that uh, was a lender foreclosure firm. And I started there, and I I found it a fascinating area of law. I can imagine there's lots of entertainment in that field. You you were you guys your firm was representing Freddie Mac, Chase, Countrywide, all those a lot of the subprime lenders. And I know you guys you you said you did foreclosure litigation, bankruptcy, loss mitigation, negotiations title insurance and title litigation and listeners that's how sean and i met was through you always hear me talk about insured title that's our title company and they do closings anywhere in the country and i through kevin overstreet who's the president over there at insured title that's who that's this sean i met sean through them because they're in the same area and when kevin has a title challenge that he needs legal assistance with well he picks up the phone or in this case you know he can throw a tennis ball across the parking lot and reach out to sean and and make stuff happen. So that's kind of how the relationship developed from there. But uh, Sean, right. you know, it t- says here in 2004, you left the plaintiff side of the practice and then you went into helping homeowners keep their homes. Yeah. So in 2004, the owner of the firm said, I don't want to do this anymore. She did not want to do foreclosure law anymore. Now, the, the firm I worked with still exists. It's an intellectual property firm. So they do patents and trademarks and copyrights and that kind of stuff. But the owner uh, did not want to do that type of law anymore. And so I was faced with a decision. Here I am six years out of law school. I can move laterally to another plaintiff foreclosure mill, or I could take what I knew about doing foreclosures quickly, pushing them through the system quickly, and I could slow them down. And so my fastest foreclosure from the time it was filed until the time there was a foreclosure sale my fastest time was 97 days. Wow. And I figured if I can do them quickly, let me see if I can slow them down. And so switched sides, hung my own shingle, and I know we're going to continue to get into it, but that's what led me on the path to uh, the investor market and meeting real estate investors and basically set me on the path of where the law firm is today. Well, you know, the one thing I like about you, Sean, I got to say is that being mutual friends of, of Larry Harbolt, you're one of the few attorneys that Larry Harbolt doesn't cringe, and he actually calls you his friend, which is pretty cool. So that makes you I, you're good in my book. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm one of the very few attorneys that Larry will actually admit that he knows. Yeah, and likes. He actually likes and respects you, which is huge in my book. I was like, yeah, got to get him on the team, because if Larry hasn't strangled him yet or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> ran from him, <laughs> then he can't be yeah. all bad, right? And, and for the record, it is absolutely mutual the other way. I have a ton of respect for, for Larry and his programs and what he does. And he is one of the very few people that, that I think does it right. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. I'm pretty proud to have him as one of my mentors, that's for sure, and to be in his little inner circle there and one of his friends. That's It's been a good experience. But speaking of Larry Harbaugh, I went to the Land Trust Seminar for Larry a couple weeks back. And, of course, your name came up. And we talked about you actually in the episode right before that that seminar. And I know you have also been to that course, which I think is pretty awesome. Is you know I've dealt, I've I've ran into attorneys on, and I'm sure you've probably heard this before that they don't really take any time to get out in the public and take the same classes that we take. They they take the ones that are more tailored to attorneys. They're with attorneys. But I like the fact that you're out there in the field and you're learning while we learn. And you admit that 
you don't have to be an expert in every single facet. And, and even if you are an expert, you're continually out, continually out there improving and learning. And that's great. That's why we want you on the Cashflow Guys team. Now, one of my takeaways from that course, and, and I want to, and I, because Larry preaches in that course that once you come out of that course and you have his paperwork, then you need to have it reviewed by an attorney. And right in the class, I said, well, has Sean been to this course? And he says, yes, he has. Sean's a friend of mine and, and he's all for it. So in there, I, what I told one of the takeaways I took away, which is pretty powerful <laughs> takeaway I took away, land trusts are for anonymity, not for asset protection. And see, going into the course, I thought the opposite, but coming out of there, now I, I'm starting to realize that. So I want to start by talking about that. They're about anonymity, but not asset protection. Would you agree? Yeah, I think that's the number one reason that someone will use a land trust to buy properties is the anonymity. Now, the anonymity plays into the asset protection because if you're anonymous, people can't really, the other attorneys, people they're trying to sue can't find those assets. But the number one reason people do a land trust, people put property into a Florida land trust is for that anonymity. Correct. And I see that, you know, it's unfortunate that they, a lot of times they're not taking the steps like Larry had said to have their paperwork reviewed. You know, you go to a lot of these seminars, let's say if somebody's from the state of Michigan, for example, or from Illinois or wherever, you know, you need guys, if you're from out of state, I know listeners, we've got you from around the world. You go to these, these opportunities, these courses that come in, you take that information from there and take it to your local attorney. And everybody rolls their eyes at me when I say this. I've been saying this since episode one, get out there and get those tax and legal professionals working for you. They are there to help you. And a couple hundred dollars for a consultation to have the attorney review the paperwork, tweak it for your individual situation, for your individual state or municipality, uh, makes sense. It's the things that makes the land contract work. Is that correct, Sean? I mean, it doesn't, what Larry puts out isn't necessarily going to work in Texas, for example. It may need a little tweaking, a little massaging to make it work. Is that correct? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I completely agree. And the Florida Land Trust Act has its own statutory structure under Florida law. And the Florida land trust uh, law came from Illinois. So Illinois is very famous for having the Illinois land trust. And Florida's land trust statute used to model that really closely. I think it still does, but I know the Florida statutes have undergone a lot of changes. And then in, in my research is that there is still a minority of states that allow land trusts. A majority of the states in the union still are not allowing land trusts. Or they do, but maybe it's not a specific statutory structure, or maybe it's not called a land trust. Maybe it's called some other type of trust. So, right. yeah, I mean, my license stops at the Florida border. I, am, I went to law school in Birmingham, Alabama, but <laughs> I only took the Florida bar and I'm only licensed in Florida. So, yes, if I know you have listeners from all over the country and soon all over the world, but they need to tailor the specific advice to their state Correct. so that they make sure that they are using the land trust or other asset protection or other, other investment devices properly. Now, Sean, in this case, a lot of my listeners do, they may reside in other parts of the country, but they, they purchase property in Florida. And that's why I tell people, and I may be doing this incorrect and I'm, I'm okay with making mistakes. That's why I have the show is to tell people, to teach people that, that it's okay to make mistakes. So I'm going to go ahead and ask 
I have been telling clients of mine that are buying property in Florida, regardless of where they live, that they at least need to get on the phone with you, with a Florida real estate attorney, to discuss laws applicable to that property or statute applicable to that property. And in that case, does land trust apply? In other words, if they're uh, from the state of Texas, for example, but they're buying a property in Clearwater, should they have uh, you review their paperwork or should they have somebody that does Texas law? Is it based on where the property is located? No, it's the law of the state where the property is located. So you're right. If somebody's in Texas and they're buying a piece of property in Clearwater in Pinellas County, then, yeah, they want to have a Florida attorney review that. Now, I may also suggest that they go that extra step and have a Texas attorney uh, involved for estate planning purposes. And so one of the other uses of a land trust is to avoid probate. But one of the problems is if you have someone who lives in Texas and they don't have their asset protection correct in Texas, that may interfere when they pass with all of their properties, whether those properties be in Texas or Florida or some other state. So yes, it's important to use a Florida attorney, Florida title company, Florida people to review the land trust and that it's set up properly. But then above and beyond that, if they've got other assets, it's probably a good idea to also bring a local attorney into the fold just to make sure estate planning purposes, asset protection purposes, all those other things are covered as well. Now, guys, that's great advice, and, and I'm going to recap that real quick just to make sure you guys get that. And I, want to, and I want to point out a fact here. If you live in a different state, and the property, from the property that you're in, what Sean just talked about, about you know avoiding probate and things like this, you need to have the total package working for you. That's why if, when you guys hear me say legal team, that's why I say that. It takes more, in a lot of cases, it takes attorneys in different states working together as a team to give you that asset protection. Again, some people are going, I can do this myself because I can go on LegalZoom and for $49 package or whatever they got going on this week, I can set all this up myself. Well, let me ask you this question. What happens when something goes wrong? Is LegalZoom or all these fly-by-night prepaid situations, are they going to be there to protect your assets? And if you are setting up asset protection or you're setting yourself up uh, for what things up for after you pass away and these things pass to your heirs, do you really want your kids or your spouse to have to sort this mess out because you tried to save a buck? How much does this cost? We're talking about a couple hundred, maybe a couple thousand dollars to do it right. As compared to the cost of a rental property, I think that's a small amount of money. That's why, you know, I don't understand why more people don't just pick up the phone, hire an attorney, to figure this stuff out, and that's what you guys do every day. I mean, I wish they would more people would do that, and I'm kind of on that. I'm not trying to, to kiss up to the attorneys by any means, but I do believe in hiring the right people to do the job. So take that time, guys, to think about that. Sean, I'm sure you I, agree. I will, I will tell you, and, and I'm being sarcastic when I say this, I love leadership. and And the reason I say that is because um, when it works, it's okay. When it doesn't work, I get to charge more to fix it. Yes, you do. You so, get paid well for that. <laughs> so that's, I mean, LegalZoom has its place, but 
I think by and large, somebody who's taking their financial future into account and creating land trusts and corporations and LLCs and doing asset protection and doing estate planning. I know from my office and most of the other attorneys that I work with, you mentioned a couple hundred bucks to see an attorney. A lot of times I'll do a free consultation and some of the other attorneys I work with will do free consultations. And so it doesn't even cost anything. Now, if I start putting pen to paper or finger to keyboard, then maybe the clock goes on. But, but just to have a consultation and sort of discuss everything, I'm not going to charge for the initial consultation most of the time. And that's huge. And, and I, I love that about you guys. Is that, that's exactly correct. You know, when you guys are out there doing these deals and you're, and you're looking at different scenarios, especially when you're doing closing procedures, which we're going to talk about contracts here in a second, these are what this is why I always say, and, and Larry Harbold and Jay Massey, they will say the same thing. You need to have this these documents, these agreements that you're putting together, you need to have them reviewed by an attorney. First of all, you need to make sure that when you're going under contract with somebody that what you're doing is legal. You don't need to get yourself in hot water. You're trying to make five, ten, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars, whatever you're doing in your deal. And you're out there breaking the law. Could you be creating a felony? Could you be taking advantage of somebody not even knowing that you're doing it? You can get yourself in a lot of hot water. And what Sean just said makes a lot of sense with LegalZoom. It's either you pay them now or you pay them later. It's one or the other. You can hire somebody like Sean to help you with your real estate needs now, or you can hire Sean to deal, deal you or to uh, dig you out of the horse manure later. And I guarantee you, it's probably going to be a five-figure bill when. Uh, he has to keep you out of real estate jail. So think about that going in. Be smart about it. Sean, I wanted to talk about, uh, I know you come from the foreclosure background. What is the deal with banks not allowing assignments or, or being finicky about assignments or flipping of properties? They either want to control how long the owner's entitled or they simply don't want assignments at all. What's the, the gist behind that? Is there a simple answer? Yeah, Yes and no. So there is a logical answer. Uh, I've, I told this to somebody today. If you try to think about this process with any type of common sense, you're going to drive yourself nuts. So don't try to use common sense here, but, but logic. There is a logical explanation. So I think really simply the bank's logic is if you have an A to B to C closing, A to B, B to C, and there's going to be some kind of flip involved, Especially in a short sale scenario. So let's say you've got a loan of 200000 and B is buying it from A for 125 and then selling it to C for 150 So they're making a $25,000 spread on that sale. Right. Well, in a short sale scenario, if I'm the bank, if you as the middleman investor are negotiating with me to buy it at 125, knowing you can instantly flip it for 150. Why should I not be at the bank? Why should I not be entitled to that extra $25,000? And when you put it in a short sale scenario, you're even increasing the harm because if you're the homeowner, A, the, the original owner of this property, I'm taking on a $75,000 deficiency where I could be taking on a $50,000 deficiency. Now, the counter to that, there's two counters to that that I hear all the time. The first is, well, the Mortgage Debt Relief Act applies, and so you're not going to get a 1099, and there's not going to be any uh, negative tax consequences to you. 
that's wrong for a couple of reasons. Number one, how does this middleman investor know? How do they have the tax knowledge to know that the Mortgage Debt Relief Act is going to apply in this instance to eliminate any tax liability, number one? Oh, thank you for saying that out loud. That's number two, you will get, the borrower will get a 1099. What I describe is that the Mortgage Debt Relief Act says you won't be taxed on that 1099 income, but you will still get the 1099. And so in that instance, the, the investor is, is creating a situation where potentially there's more liability to the homeowner. Plus, the investor in negotiating with the bank is trying to tell the bank, listen, this property is only worth 125. If they've got someone in their pocket to buy it, to buy it at 150, they are in essence being dishonest with the bank, and that's the bank's problem with it. Okay, and I guess so, in the marketplace, what we hear a lot of is, well, the bank shouldn't care because they're going to get a refund of the difference by the Fed and whatnot. And it's like, well. Yeah, but then aren't we paying that? <laughs> aren't the taxpayers picking up that tab? If that's even the case, if it's a government-backed loan, um, so that's that's yeah. that's interesting. That's the interesting. other thing is, you know, they'll say that they're being backed by the government or they're being backed by mortgage insurance. Now, another interesting thing I just saw the other day: client came to me. The client was being sued by the mortgage insurance company after the mortgage insurance company had paid out for the bank. The mortgage insurance company reduced the payout to the bank based on the time it took the bank's attorneys to foreclose. So in this instance, the bank did not get every penny back from either the government or the mortgage insurance company. The bank took a loss because of the time it took the bank to foreclose. And if we assume some facts, well, now as the foreclosure defense attorney, I'm building time into the foreclosure process right. to allow us to get the short sale completed. So I'm now causing that deficit to the bank because I'm extending the foreclosure out. <laughs> it's all sort of incestuous when you really think about it. It really is. Um, I, you know, and I really don't, for the record, I have no problem if, if the investor is buying this house from the bank directly. So the bank took it back in REO. The investor is negotiating with the bank to buy this house or buy a bulk of houses. That's good negotiation skills by the investor. And I have no problem with an investor buying a house from a bank at 125 and instantly flipping it for 150. I think that's good negotiation skills. Where I think the problem comes in is where you add that homeowner who's now being damaged because of the deficiency that's owed to the bank and the tax consequences and all that other stuff. I see. Okay. All right. That's, that's a good take on that. I, that was, that was interesting. I like that. I want to go into real estate contracts and I'm going to have to have you back on the show as well. Cause there's so much we can cover here. It's, it's endless, but I want to cover. I just want to go over a couple different things that come up. Now you did, I saw you at a networking event a couple months back at, uh, Kevin Overstreet's event for insured title. He did the uh, BABA, the Be a Better Agent. He does those every month uh, for right. agents and investors. And you came, you did a, a little a little bit on stupid things. <laughs> I just love this. Stupid things that realtors do with contracts. And I'm going to go ahead and add 
investors and those who just don't know any better uh, because right. we're all guilty of it. I, you sat there and named a few things and I went, you know, over the years, I think I've done that a time or two, but I'm glad you brought all that up because it helps me helps remember that I'm far from perfect and I do make mistakes and I do need to fill in all the blanks. And that was the thing that you'd mentioned was filling all the blanks, not to steal your thunder, but one of the things that I took away from that, but let's go into that. Some of the dumb stuff that you've seen in the past over contracts that have resulted in you know the contract falling apart or someone has to get sued and it plays out so let's talk about that for a second yeah the first one that i made in that in that be a better agent presentation was the personal property that's included in the personal property that's excluded uh, in a real estate contract and what i'm talking about is florida has form real estate contracts it's either the far bar which is the florida association of realtors and florida bar or the uh, FAR version, the Florida Association of Realtors, has their own version. And both contracts have a section right on the first page that talks about what's included, what's not included. And there's a standard clause of ceiling fans and window treatments and refrigerator and all this other stuff. And this actually just happened to me in the last week. I had a client who called me. They were buying the house without a realtor. There was an attorney on the other side who drafted the contract and they were talking about something that should be obvious. I want to say it was like window air conditioning units. Right. They're not in the pre-printed language in the contract. And so I said, listen, it's probably not a big deal. I'm sure those AC units are included. I'm sure everybody thinks those AC units are included, but if they're not specifically written in the contract, you could close, walk into the house after closing, and those AC units could be gone. Sellers could take them with them. So if there's anything in the contract, if there's anything in the house, rather, that the buyer really wants, make sure there's in, it's in there. On the flip side, if there's something in there that the seller really wants to take with them, there's another section right underneath that says the following items are excluded from the purchase. Uh, another Good example, my uh, sister is selling her house uh, up in Tallahassee and sent me the contract. Now, I had a stackable washer-dryer all through uh, college and law school that when I started buying and selling houses, my little sister inherited from me. The thing has got to be 20 years old. on its. I don't even think it works anymore. Right. And it's in this old house. And so going through the contract with the, with her agent in Tallahassee, and I said, hey, wait a minute, where's the, is the stackable still in the house? He said, yes. I said, well, then it's a minor point, but we got to figure out what we're doing with this thing because stackable washer dryer is not included in the pre-printed language. What's included in the pre-printed language, I don't even think washing machine and dryer are included in the pre-printed language. So... And my sister already has another house, so she doesn't need the stackable. But do the do the buyers know they're getting it? Do they want my sister and brother-in-law to remove it? What's going to happen with this thing? And so I had to make sure that was addressed in the kind of minor point, but you got to make sure it's addressed in the contract. Um, yeah, it brings up Another, a point. I was just thinking, I'm not to interrupt you, but uh, you guys, investors, you're out there buying these properties, you know, or if, if you're selling your, your house by yourself, 
something like you just said, Sean, makes a lot of sense. It's it's a hoarder house. It's got all kinds of garbage in there. Mr. Investor, if you're buying this property, you're buying it as it sits. Don't plan on the seller getting that garbage out of there. They put it there. They're not going to get rid of it. So don't right. don't get into assumptions. Make sure it's written in the contract. That's my takeaway. If you expect it to be done, it better darn sure be in writing. Yeah, because Florida has what's called uh, the uh, statute of frauds. And so if you want to enforce a contract, especially a contract to buy real estate, it's got to be in writing. And so if you say, well, hey, the seller told me that they were leaving their refrigerator behind, but refrigerator is one of those things that's excluded because it's some kind of expensive, fancy refrigerator. Buyer, sorry, you don't get the refrigerator. You got to go out and buy your own refrigerator. Um, it, another funny story, when I bought my very first house, I'm walking through the house, fell in love with the house, decided to put a contract on it. I'm with my realtor. And at this point, I've been practicing for years. So I'm with my realtor filling out the contract. And I said, you saw a dishwasher in that house, right? <laughs> and she said, I think so. I mean, what kind of house doesn't have a dishwasher? So I said, okay. And I wrote dishwasher into the contract, signed it, sent it to the other agent. Other agent calls us and says, well, the seller signed the contract, but there's no washer dryer in the house. And we've gone through this, or not dishwasher, there's no dishwasher, dishwasher right. in the house. So we had gone through this house and fell in love with it. And I was washing dishes by hand for a couple of years. I won't say what I said at the Be a Better Agent seminar so I don't turn off your audience. I was doing dishes by myself for a couple of years. I eventually hired a handyman, got a dishwasher installed. There you go. A licensed so, one, right? Because you wouldn't want to break the law there, Mr. Attorney. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to be a chauvinist. So you I wasn't going to say what I said it. to be a, be a better agent seminar, which was a very chauvinistic remark. So I'll just leave it at that. See, I forgot it, but my wife didn't. You know, you, next time you see her, she, she'll probably remember and remind you of that. Yeah, thanks. And luckily, my wife wasn't around when I bought that house. So she, I don't think she knows that story. And I'm going to make sure this is the one episode she doesn't listen to. Exactly. Well, we're running short on time. So I want to cover the last topic here. And, and I'm going to have to get you back on the show because this has been awesome. The contracts as far as enforceability. And this is a situation I'm being selfish and I'm taking this time to get a little bit of free legal advice. But, you know, it's, it's how I roll sometimes. But um, I had a situation recently where the other side of the transaction, the selling side of the transaction, they just it was as if we didn't have a, a written contract. We had your standard FAR bar, had all the agreements, and it was very difficult. Now, granted, I was successful using some of my Gestapo tactics and a little bit of, you know, I'm coming to your office type thing uh, with the other agent to get them off the dime. But it was the seller really didn't follow any part of the contract whatsoever. Now, in the end, we got it to work out very well. I had to be a little creative in the, in the negotiation tactics towards the end to get make sure the buyer got what they need because, you know, my buyers are with me because part of my job, my big part of my job is to look out for them, protect them, be their fiduciary, so to speak. Uh, right. What can we do? You see situations like this from the, the buying when you're the buyer's agent or, or you are a buyer and the seller just suddenly decides, nah, I'm not going to follow through. I'm not going to do that. I don't care if it's in a contract. I, is there verbiage that you you can draft for somebody that an investor or whatnot that they can put into their contracts that will help them or into their offers that become contracts that will help them hold the seller's feet to the fire? Something like, 
you know, you want me to put $5,000 earnest money. Well, that's fine. But if you break the contract, then you've got to pay me 5,000 earnest money or something like that. Can you do that for people? Will you write those little things up for people so they have them and use them down the road? I'm sure that we can come up with language, but I'm not sure that that's the best idea Okay. because that might turn off buyers. I'm sorry, sellers. Sellers, right. That might turn off sellers to say, well, why do I have this? Plus, a lot of agents, unfortunately, don't understand that at the end of the day, we're dealing with contracts. So I have realtors ask me all the time, well, I want to change this, or can, can I suggest language for this or that or the other thing? And I say yes, and they don't realize that as long as it's not illegal, we can put anything we want in a contract. It's what the buyer and the seller agree to. What to, to address your situation, the buyer does have what's called a remedy of specific performance. Uh, Florida law, common law, case law, recognizes that all real estate is unique. Now, there may be, you know, this house is the same as the house three doors down, but every piece of real estate is unique. And so if you have a buyer who is not, the seller is not complying with any term of the contract, the buyer does have the right to sue to force the seller to proceed with the terms of the contract. So that has its own quirks and that has its own drawbacks and benefits, but that is ultimately the right. On the seller side, you've always got the right of the, of the uh, deposit, keeping the deposit. Correct. On the buyer side, it's I'm going to enforce this contract using specific performance. Seller, I'm going to force you to do what you said you were going to do. Right. See, that's, that's why that's good advice. And guys, that's what, that's one of the part of the service that we do use for our buyers is that we're out there educating them to expect certain pitfalls. But if you give us the opportunity to work through the problems, and remember, we always talk about building relationships and that's, I think number one, that's the best medicine is to build a good relationship with the other side. Now, in this case, I wound up having to build a relationship with that agent's broker but there was a good broker on the other side and I was able to have a conversation with her and work through the issues uh, to the satisfaction of my buyer. So it became, it, it began and wound up as a win-win solution for everybody. Well, the agent was a little jilted that I had to go around uh, that agent and go to their broker. However, I will do that because my job is to make sure that the, the, the contract that's put into place is followed. And if it's not, well, then unfortunately we have to make a phone call and maybe escalate things and get uh, our legal teams involved. But you're absolutely right, Sean, is, you know, we do it right the first time and then we don't have to go back and do that. Sean, how do people, if people are buying property in the state of Florida, how do they reach out to you? What's the best way for them to reach out to you? Easiest way is, is through the website, through uh, cyberspace. The the website is yesnerlaw.com and yesner has one S. So Y-E-S-N-E-R law.com. Uh, that's also my email. Sean at yesnerlaw.com and Sean is S-H-A-W-N. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. The website has, um, you know, phone number information, fax information. There's a contact us page on the website, but that's, those are the two easiest places. I've also got all the Facebook page, the Google plus page. I've got all those social media um, pages as well. That's awesome. Well, Sean, thank you so much for having us on the show. I really appreciate it. And, as a, as a sign-off here, guys, as always, we really appreciate you taking the time to come out and listen. And it's important for us to bring our team members out 
give you guys the opportunity to get a taste of, of the people that we deal with and the type of vendors that we look for. And, and I can't tell you how important the legal team has been. And Sean, you're a great asset to that. So thank you again for coming on the show. Folks, if you want to reach out to us via Facebook, you can always do that. Just go on Facebook and type in Cash Flow Guys. If you want to join our community, that is by going to cashflowguys.com. That's cashflowguys.com forward slash group. Cashflowguys.com forward slash group. As always, I have a 30-minute consultation with anybody that needs advice on how to take the next steps to get going in your real estate investing career. That is absolutely no charge and no consultation. If you are interested in, in taking us up on that, there'll be more information on our website and more information on the show notes. There's a link in the show notes where you can take advantage of that. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to cashflowguys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas so you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.